Hi, I'm Jillian. I'm Olivia. I'm Holly, and you're listening to the Be Well Cartel podcast. Your go-to weekly podcast for women who want real, practical advice on food, fitness, and everything in between. And a healthy dose of dad jokes. Olivia, you have something for us today, don't you? I've got a dad joke and a dad line. A dad joke and a dad line. Ooh, a two-part. I, the joke that I've got is because we like leopard. Well, Holly and I wear a lot, a lot of leopard. Love it. Olivia yeah. gives context for this. I feel like that's a very Olivia thing to be like, I'm going to give you context for this. And now I'm even wearing like an animal um, print hat right now. So the joke is, why can't a leopard hide? Um, because he's easy to spot. Oh, pretty good. Because he's always spotted. Oh, nice. And I've got a line. So the line is, (laughs) it cracked me up. I was wondering why the Frisbee kept looking bigger and bigger. And then it hit me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of dads, I have had my dad here for uh, the last couple of days, which has been really interesting And we just started an Instagram for him last night called old guy travel guru. So if you are listening to this, we'll put it in the show notes (laughs) and you want to follow. So, I mean, the the fact of the matter is, is my dad is like a pretty fascinating guy. Like he's from the UK. He lived in the States for like almost 50, no, like 40 years now. And he is a sailor. And so he actually came to the States on a sailboat, like helping someone sail and came to the States with like 200 bucks in his pocket, started a business and has, and has traveled literally all over the world. We were just talking the other day about, so he's been to Nepal three times and he, he fell off a cliff one time he was in Nepal. And, and then another time in Nepal, he fell down a mountain and broke his ankle. And then he was also in Nepal when there was a huge earthquake in Kathmandu and spent three weeks like helping them clean up rubble for the earthquake so yeah my dad's kind of a fascinating guy uh, when when's the movie of your dad's life being made and where can, where, where can we watch it yeah I don't well I think we're starting Instagram. With yeah we're starting <laughs> with the Instagram and yesterday it was like really funny because he was standing there like trying to figure out Instagram and mumbling to himself about like well how the how the fuck do I post a story what the what, what the hell is a real and I was just sitting there like this is amazing um I think that your dad is amazing because my dad would probably be like what's an Instagram and have no, no this morning this morning I you know I was like getting ready getting ready to take Anna out and he goes Jillian and he has a British accent he goes Jillian do you use TikTok and I was like <laughs> what and I was like for what and he's like well is it helpful and I was like helpful for what <laughs> It's like That's I created so a monster. My my dad's Instagram, which he you, I don't I think he goes on about once a month, but his Instagram is the name of our house. So his Instagram is just Manning's Cottage. I was like, oh, I thought it could be the and, cat butler. And his uh, that's it I mean maybe he's making a new butler. one. <laughs> but his you you guys will enjoy this. So his first two ever posts on Instagram, which I don't I don't think he's posted in about four years, but his first post was um a picture of like a little glass jar with a with a tiny uh, woolen hat on the jar 
um which if you guys okay. have ever seen the innocent smoothies they in in winter time they come with little hats on anyway so we used to save all the hats so it's a little glass jar with it wearing a little um woolen hat and the caption was why is this jar wearing a woolen hat and then the second post was he pulled up the little woolen hat so you could see what's inside the jar and it's full of chili powder and the caption was because it's a little chili so your dad, I, we should get your dad on here every week just to tell a dad joke and then disappear. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why we're telling the dad jokes when we yeah. have a classic dad with some classic dad jokes. I know. Like, I think, who do we think we are? So today, today we're going to be talking a bit about heart rate and how it relates to exercise. And the reason we wanted to answer this question is because like all three of us have actually had conversations about our, about this with our clients just in the past week. Um, and I think there's a lot of confusion about heart rate and like, should I be aiming for a certain heart rate during certain kinds of exercise or like what kinds of heart rate at different times? Like if my goal is this, like, should my heart rate be this? Like, can I trust heart rate monitors? Is higher heart rate better? I think there's a lot of confusion around it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I just want to really quickly say that I think that with heart rate, and I'm going to be completely honest, this is not my forte guys, but I think that similarly to a lot of things in nutrition and fitness is it's often like we we tend to focus on the little details more than the bigger picture and so often this question will come up and it's like well what heart rate should i be aiming for and it's like well first are you moving your body frequently in a way that you enjoy um are you you know eating a variety of different fruits and vegetables rather than like should i be drinking like alkaline water or should i be having lemon water or things like that and so i think that this is kind of again a question of like you know big picture versus little details and there are specific people that if you you know say you're training for a triathlon you're or you're a, you're a very high level or, um, or you have a very um, high training age, like you've been training for a really, really long time and, and the details are really important to your training for a specific reason, then this may be really, really helpful for most people. Paying a ton of attention to your very specific heart rate might not necessarily be a great focus. Yeah, and even with those people who do have those specific goals, like um, you know, pacing with running and things like that, like you mentioned, it's we can have those numbers as guides, but it's more so to do with what that feels like for you and intensity level, what, which is what we'll talk about. So um, kind of like, like what you said, Gillian, with those big rocks, one of those big rocks is understanding yourself. And so understanding always how principles within fitness apply to you. And so we can sort of learn about these things but we have to be like what does that actually mean for me and so when we're talking about heart rate um, and exertion level then that is going to look different and feel different on everybody yeah absolutely and I think both Olivia and I in our programming use sort of like rate of perceived exertion quite a lot so RPE kind of like how hard do you feel like you're working and for most people that's probably going to be more helpful than trying to gauge a specific range of heart rate unless your training level is very high but we're gonna we're gonna talk about them today anyway because you might hear about them a lot and we just want to take away some of the confusion that might come up when you hear them talked about or if you hear them used in marketing because there are certain um like sort of franchises of exercise that do specifically use heart rates and heart rate monitors in their classes and so 
if you don't understand like why they might be talking about it in that way, that might be something that you, you don't get to make an informed decision on without the background knowledge. And I think that also a, a lot of the narrative in certain types of exercise, especially like all three of us come from CrossFit is sort of like this belief that like intensity is what is like the only thing that gets us results. And we often associate that intensity with like, how high can I get my heart rate or how hard can I push myself? And, and I think that it's, really, I mean, and this is something that I think all of us have evolved on. Cause I know that there was a period of time where I was super die hard, like got to make sure you're dying in every workout. And then you recover like crazy, but because my heart rate was super high, like that means I did the work and that means I'm going to get the results. And I think that starting to understand that, like, when we are looking at overall progress or overall results, like super high intensity is not always the route that we need to go in order to see the progress that we're looking to see, especially depending on like, are we looking at overall health? Are we looking at specific muscle gain? Are we looking at like improving cardiovascular capacity? Like what is it that we're actually looking at improving? Absolutely. And so just to define a, a few terms that are going to be relevant to today. So resting heart rate, I think quite a lot of people are familiar with. Um, and resting heart rate is your heart rate at rest, kind of self-explanatory. And, and that should be measured whilst you're sleeping. It's like the ideal. Um, and if not, it should be measured like first thing in the morning when you wake up before you get out of bed. And the problem is that, for example, like your iPhone, um, if you check your resting heart rate on your iPhone, it normally just takes like an average of what's been going on across the day and so sometimes I have people who look at the iPhone and they're like it says my resting heart rate is like 86 and then they're like oh my god and I'm like okay cool but let's check your heart rate first thing in the morning and see if it's 86 and they're like oh it's like 61 and I'm like okay cool so so I think it's just helpful to know like when when you should actually look at resting heart rate in order to understand what that is what sh what quote unquote should it be personal it's gonna be completely different for different people depending on genetics, depending on your age, depending on um, how, how much like cardiovascular endurance training you do. So you should be comparing yourself to yourself when it comes to resting heart rate, rather than comparing yourself to a supposed like ideal resting heart rate. And by the way, like lower is not always better when it comes to resting heart rate. And an example of that is, for example, in something like hypothalamic amenorrhea, where very often we're so underfueled that our heart rate does get slower because our bodies are trying to save energy. And like in that case, it's actually a pretty bad sign that your heart rate is getting lower and lower. And that can be why you get things like really cold hands and feet. The other thing we're going to talk about a lot today is maximum heart rate, which is like the, the fastest your heart can possibly be in a minute. And this, for most people, we will not know. Most of us do not know our maximum heart rate because we have mental barriers that stop us ever getting to that, or we just can't push hard enough, like physically to get to our maximum heart rate. So most of us won't know that. And therefore, like, although the heart rate zones that we're going to talk about in a moment are based on maximum heart rate, it can mean that actually using these like percentages for heart rate zones for most people, not that accurate and not necessarily that helpful because we don't know our maximum heart rate. So quite often we're going to work with by feel rather than by numbers. So two really quick things. One, a funny thought is that I, I was thinking, you know, when we test our resting heart rate in the morning, also, if you're the type of person that has an alarm clock that jolts you out of sleep and stresses you out, and like often you get that like 
that like bah, feeling like that's going to push your heart rate up a little bit. So if you wake yeah, up, maybe and don't measure your yeah, like if you're, right after your alarm. Yeah. And so like, if your alarm like jerks you out of sleep and like kind of gives you that jolting feeling, that's probably not the best time to test your resting heart rate because you <laughs> kind of just stress yourself out there a little bit. Um, but also is just so that everybody knows, because I've had this conversation with clients before where they're like, well, what's a good resting heart rate and the range of, of good, of quote unquote, good or acceptable resting heart rates is a really wide range. It's not like, it's not like it needs to be between 60 and 63. It's like, it's a pretty wide range of, of around like anywhere from 30 to 45 beats per minute as a range, not like if you have a, a resting heart rate of 30 beats per minute, you're probably dead. Um, but like the range for your age group, for your activity level, for, you know, the type of person you are is actually really, really big. Yeah, and also just with max heart rate, like a really simple way, because I think that it, it, it is really hard to be like, okay, just like, how do you feel? You know, it's like um, something I talk a lot about is the problem with um, listen to your body, you know, the problem of that line, listen to your body, because often people don't know how to listen to their body. So sometimes it can be really helpful to have metrics or numbers as a starting point to kind of understand that a little bit more. So if we're thinking about max heart rate, like a really simple way to figure that out, which is just a very simple, um, oh, what's it called? Equation <laughs> is 220 minus your age. And that'll give you a number. Um, and that can be a place where you can be like, okay, if I get up to that, like, how does that actually feel for me? Is it hard? Is it easy? Is it moderate? And then you can sort of go from there with starting to figure this stuff out a little bit. Yeah, I really like that. Um, and what you just mentioned is pretty much exactly the same thing that we all talk about quite often with food, right? A very similar thing where we're like, we might start off with tracking in order to give us an idea of how a certain number feels. And then we might bring in some hunger fullness cues there in order to start listening to your body in relation to those numbers. And then we might start taking away some of the numbers and going more by feel. I think it's a very similar process when it comes to uh, understanding workout intensity. Um, with that being said, I'll give like a really quick overview of the heart rate zones. And then we'll talk about how these sometimes come up in marketing and how you can understand what they're actually talking about um, versus what they want you to think um, they're talking about. And so when we hear about heart rate zones, we'll normally hear about zones one, two, three, four, and five. And zone one is normally uh, defined as like very light. Zone two would be quite light. Zone three would be moderate. Zone four would be hard. And zone five is like maximum. So for when they're talking about maximum heart rates, they might talk about one as 50 to 60% of your maximum heart rate, two is 60 to 70%, three is 70 to 80%, four is 80 to 90%, and max is like 90 to 100%. As we, as we talked about, unless you're very experienced and have a very high training age, those percentages might not be super accurate for you. Um, and so if you're using something like a polar strap or a Garmin, quite a few of those do do like your um, heart rate zones and they'll tell you what time you're in what zones for. Uh, you can take that zone bit with, a, I think, a little bit of a grain of salt for most people. Um, but that doesn't mean that what we just talked about was like looking at the numbers and understanding what those numbers mean to you in terms of your heart rate numbers isn't helpful. There, I think it actually can still be quite helpful. Um, we'll talk about a bit more, more about that later. But um, like Jillian, talk a little bit about 
how we see this used in marketing and like why people might get confused about heart rate zones. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that we, I think the one that we probably hear about the most is the fat burning, the fat burning zone. And so I think we'll see a lot of people that do have um, wearables, whether it's a polar, whether it's a whoop, wh- whatever it is, when they are aiming for cardiovascular exercise for fat loss, they'll try to be kind of within that fat burning zone. And to be completely honest, guys, I don't know a ton about it, but I know that it is that, that when we are aiming for a specific zone in order to burn fat, we're not really getting the results that we think that we're getting from that, like from that exercise. Yeah. And I think, I think I don't want to throw any specific form of exercise under the bus, but, but one school of exercise that puts a lot of emphasis on this is orange theory mm. and orange theory is literally called orange theory. Cause it's based around the idea of being in like the orange zone when it comes to heart rate and that being optimal for uh, like fat loss. Right. And in an orange theory class, literally everyone in the class gets given a heart rate monitor and your name is on the screen up at the front of the class and your heart rate is on the screen up at the front of the class and everyone can see it. And you're like trying to keep your heart rate in a certain zone throughout the, the whole class, basically. Now, the the problem with that, we've just talked about before the difference between fat burning and fat loss, right? Like that's something we talked about before where if you are burning fat for fuel, it doesn't necessarily, necessarily mean that you will lose body fat faster if you're not eating in a caloric deficit because you'll just refill those stores but the other thing is that in in reality lower intensity cardio is actually where you're going to be burning the most uh, let's talk about oxidizing oxidizing the most fat for fuel i think it's less confusing if we say oxidizing because burning people think of like the burning feeling of exercise like you're actually using more fat for fuel at lower intensities of exercise and you're using more carbs for fuel at high intensities of exercise to talk very generally. Uh, it changes across time and it changes between sex and it changes all the other stuff. But I think that it's a, a bit of a, a myth that's been spun out into like a whole franchise there. I mean, they did a great yeah. job at gamifying. You got, I like, you oh, got to give them credit yeah, for like, job. and if you enjoy doing Gorange Theory and for you, it's like a way to gamify and make your training interesting freaking amazing awesome if that's totally. something you enjoy just, just be doing it be doing it from an informed place exactly exactly yeah just on that as well actually is like um i sent an email about this the other week is that you there is a difference between you know if you're interested in and when i say performance i don't just mean an athlete i think that when we think about performance we suddenly go oh that's just for athletes but if you're someone that's interested in making progress with the kind of exercise that you're doing, then, you know, this stuff is helpful for you. But if you're the kind of person that, um, or if you're a person that like just wants to go for fun, like it's a social thing, you just want to exercise, it's fine. Like it's, it is, it's just about what you enjoy and what that looks like to keep on doing that. So um, I think that another thing that gets kind of like lost in here is this, um, the acronym, oh my gosh, the acronym is EPOC, right? How that is marketed is that your body is still burning calories after you've finished exercise. And you guys have probably- Oh yeah, like the post-workout burn. It's, it's right? me, yeah, it stands yeah. for post, well, it stands for post-exercise oxygen consumption, 
but that yeah, for some reason right. it's switched the e and the p get switched around yeah. to make it a nicer um it's acronym because p yeah. just sounds weird <laughs> yeah. yeah epoch and i remember when this got really big and people were talking about it oh even and- for crossfit yeah. Oh yeah. Like, no, the yeah, thing is, is like- even when I was first getting started with training and I was just doing like a fun workout class, like people would talk about like the, like, yeah, so you do this, but then think about how many calories you're burning after you do it. So it's like, it's something that even when I was a super newbie, we would talk about. But the problem with this is that this is extremely individual to a person and what they can actually output. So, and this is the difference between aerobic and anaerobic stuff. So if we're doing anaerobic, which is more kind of like lactate work, which is a lot harder. And in order to do like real, and this is hit, right? And we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast before, um, is that to do true hit or like anaerobic a lactate work which is where you get this like metabolic demand that that is that epoch thing you have to have the um prerequisite like strength to produce power to produce that kind of effect and so what happens is that otherwise you're actually doing aerobic work so like cardio work so so with that the calorie burn stops as soon as you stop. So if you're doing like a 15 minute kind of AMRAP, that's cardio and you, that calorie burning is going to stop when you stop. But if you're doing like 10 seconds on the assault bike, super, super hard, and you have the power to do that, then you're going to get that after effect and that metabolic um, effect from that work. But many people don't, they can't express power like that. And so they're only doing aerobic work. And the way that you know that is if you're doing intervals or like hit and you go into your rest time and you feel like you don't need that rest, then that means you're doing aerobic work. You're not doing like anaerobic or hard, hard work. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that when you say, um, if you don't feel like you need that rest, it's not always just in terms of like the the breathing, but also in terms of like the the power expenditure from your yeah. muscles, right? Because so some people might think, oh, but I don't need to rest because my I'm not breathing heavy. But it's also right. to do with like your your nervous system and your muscles and the power it can output. Um, right. And, and then- to sorry, just to really quickly define like aerobic versus anaerobic. Aerobic basically means your body's using like oxygen to produce energy, and anaerobic means your body is not using it, it's not using oxygen to produce energy it's using the existing fuel source within your body basically and it can only do that for a short period of time so if we go past just a few minutes your body's going to have to start using oxygen for fuel and so that's what we mean there and if we're working at these like very high heart rate zones so if we're looking at like four to five which is very often promoted as like let's go maximum intensity you shouldn't be able to keep doing that for a very long period of time otherwise you're not actually up in those zones right and so just further to that is that if you're doing something so let's just say you're doing intervals in your group fitness class and it's like one minute on 30 second rest one minute on 30 second rest you're doing aerobic like that is aerobic cardiovascular training that's not hit that's not anaerobic and so if you are resting longer 
than you're working. So say if you do like a one minute interval and then you rest for four minutes and you need to have that rest, that is when you're doing that more metabolic damaging kind of work that's going to give you that epoch effect. So I have a quick question for you guys before we kind of move on to talking about how we can use this is for someone that's just getting started and wants to understand like intervals and how to improve cardiovascular output. And we know that there are kind of like, you know, there's cardiovascular training to improve like our heart health. And then there's cardiovascular training for performance. And then there's also this like cardiovascular training that people tend to use for, for fat loss. And so how would someone that's just getting started be able to use like an interval to, to improve their cardiovascular output? Right. And so this is, I mean, there are so many different ways to approach this and it can get really confusing, but if we're thinking about people that just want to look good, feel good, we know that strength training is really important. So if we're thinking about health, you know, that is really important and strength training and being strong is only going to help with any kind of like cardiovascular stuff that you're doing. But if we're thinking about the general kind of person that, yeah, just wants to look good, feel good, man, I would say like two times strength training a week and then maybe one day of kind of like a little bit of harder um, aerobic work, not an aerobic work, aerobic work. So like intervals that could be like one minute on, one minute off. Um, and then a couple of days of more steady state cardio and you're pretty good to go. Yeah. And I think just to, to remind people that if you are that beginner, that strength training for you is, is going to look a little bit different. We, we all want to start where, where we are. And so strength training for you right now, maybe using body weight, it may be using like light bands. It may be using, you know, things that you have around the house, whereas strength training for someone that has, that is a little bit more advanced in this, it, that may look like lifting weights or, you know, going to the gym and using a barbell. So I think that there's a whole range, um, that we can do there. Yeah. And if you are someone who does want to use heart rate and be curious about heart rate, um, I'll talk about like really quickly, like three different ways that I have used it in the past and how I use it now. Cause I think it's a pretty good overview of some different ways that you can use it. So um, for example, when I was training for uh, long distance Spartan races, so here I'm talking like uh, sort of three to four hour races uh, in my training, I would look at heart rate a lot and I would be looking at specific like zones and how they felt. So I would, I would run at different heart rates for different amounts of time in order to learn like, what could I, what could I maintain so that when it got to the race, I could adjust my pace to try and get like the best time possible. So that's when I was being very specific and I had a very clear performance goal that I wanted to hit. Um, when it came to, uh, like hypothalamic amenorrhea recovery. So this would be basically like focusing on taking care of your body. And this would also apply to just like times of high stress, like when your body's under a lot of stress, there you might do it, start looking at heart rate in order to make sure that you're resting long enough between sets that your training isn't adding an extra stress load onto your body. And I've seen this even for clients who don't have hypothalamic amenorrhea, by the way, where they might find that they're feeling really shit that after they've trained. And then we start bringing in longer rest periods during their training sessions and it transforms how they feel the next day. It transforms how they're able to recover from a session. And how I use it now is partly still that. I partly like to look at how my heart rate's coming down in between training sessions. But I also just like, out of curiosity, like seeing how different exercises 
affect my heart rate in different ways. Like how's my heart rate different after a pull-up than it is after like Cossack squats. And that's just like complete personal curiosity. I'm not really using that for anything. I just think it's interesting. So those are some different ways that you can use it. Mm. There, and there are so many more ways. I mean, we, we haven't even touched on rest periods and, you know, more combining like cardio and strength training and things like that. Um, but um, I'm going to get Jillian to wrap up, but I'm just going to say one last thing um, on this as well is just the importance of understanding your heart rate and, and, and more so intensity. Like for me, um, I'm pregnant right now. And a lot of the old school advice for people who are pregnant are like, don't get your heart rate up over 130. <laughs> and I can tell you right now, like I'm five months into this pregnancy and my heart rate is still getting like 170, like way, you know, above that sometimes. But it's the way that I manage that. So kind of like Holly was saying with um, the HA recovery, which is how I used it as well, is that it's how I'm resting in between those higher bouts. And for me, if I sustain that heart, higher heart rate for too long, then that's probably not going to be helpful. But a big thing for me is if I'm able to hold a conversation. So rather than being too dictated by those numbers, I'm like, okay, how is my conversation here? And some days um, it's harder. If I've had a day where maybe I didn't sleep well last night and I'm just like, super whacked, then my heart rate is going to spike a lot quicker and that's going to get higher faster. So I know that I need to have more rest. So you can see that there's a lot of like nuance that comes into this for you as an individual, like how your energy is um, on a daily basis and how that affects your heart rate and also just what those numbers actually feel like for you. So it really is just about um, kind of understanding yourself a little bit more with this, with how you use it. Yeah. And just to give a, um, an example of someone, so I don't use a heart rate tracker. And I think a lot of the time we talk about this stuff as someone, you know, from the, the perspective of someone that is tracking their heart rate, I don't use uh, a heart rate tracker. I used to use a Fitbit and it kind of just made me crazy. So I stopped. And, and so for me, for example, when I'm trying to figure out what my heart rate is like, or what my, my heart is doing when I'm training is I actually just put like my fingers on, on my pulse, like either on my neck or on my wrist. And, and I, I've given myself time to kind of get to know myself and what it feels like in my body. And so I can feel when my heart rate is slowing down and that may indicate to me it's time to start a new set. I can feel when my heart rate is quite high. So like Holly was saying, like certain exercises change your heart rate in different ways. And so you can become in tune to your body as well without even necess necessarily using an outside fitness tracker to do that. That can be helpful, but like me, maybe you're like me and you're like, you know what? I know they make me crazy. So I'm just going to start paying a little bit more attention to my body and understand that it's all relative to my own baseline, not necessarily anybody else's baseline. Um, on that, we went through a little bit, we went through some definitions, some understanding of like different types of workouts, um, understanding intensity, understanding heart rate. Like what is the, what are the different sort of sets or not sets, but different kind of uh, like categories for your heart rate between resting heart rate minimum and maximum, how to figure these out. And we went through the heart rate zones and a couple of myths around this, which is something that I think we hear a lot 
in like sort of colloquial fitness terminology. And so we've gotten used to hearing these things and believing them because sometimes when, the more we hear something, the more it just becomes normalized and we believe it. So hopefully we're able to straighten some of that out for you. And then we talked a little bit about how we can use these things in different contexts. So Olivia and Holly talked a little bit about kind of from the perspective of someone that is using a heart rate monitor um, or, or like a heart rate wearable. And, and Olivia talked also from pregnancy, which I think is really awesome that you're able to give that sort of that context. And then we touched a little bit on, on the HA side, which all three of us have been through. Um, with that, we have aimed to do another kind of little quickie episode and hopefully you enjoyed this. I think we got through a lot of, of information here, guys. And with that, any feedback you have on these episodes, any thoughts that you have, any, any follow-up questions, definitely go ahead and let us know. We say this all the time, but it makes us so happy to hear from you. Um, especially, you know, if you are a new listener and you just want to reach out and let us know that you've liked an episode or you have a question that you want us to cover on a future episode, we absolutely love that. So with that, my friends, thank you so much. And we will see you again next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Make sure to hit follow on the podcast app of your choice, share this episode, and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It is a small effort with a big reward and the best way for other like-minded individuals to find the Be Well Cartel. To learn more about the Be Well Cartel community, stay up to date with us on Instagram at Be Well Cartel and see you again next week. We love feedback, so if you have anything to share with us, please reach out via Instagram to let us know what we are doing well, what we can improve on, and how we can support you.